0: Thank you for tuning into our show today. Today's interview is with Jose Benitez-Kong. Jose was an amazing interview. He was one of the original members on the team that invented the iPhone and the iPod. He gives great insight into venture capital. He lets you know what it takes to be a successful company. And he also helps you figure out if you're in the right career and what things to look for. One of the best interviews we've done We did have issues with sound quality on this recording day. So please look past that. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Moving forward, we will have better sound quality. Hope you enjoy the interview. In the Free Retiree Show, where we help you transform your life so you can become financially free. In this show, we'll give you the inside track on how to excel in your career, filter we'll out the noise surrounding your finances to help you make smart financial decisions, and we'll learn from thought and business leaders who can help you live your best life. Thank you for tuning in to the show. You're listening to another episode of the Free Retiree Show. I'm wealth manager Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside career advisor Sergio Batterson. What is up, everyone? Today, we got a really great guest for you guys. His name is Jose Benitez-Kong. He's got tons of experience in a career. He's a consultant for startups and he's co-founder of startups. We're gonna get to pick his brain and learn what it takes to create a successful startup in the Silicon Valley. And we're gonna also go over how to find your dream job. For a lot of us, we might be at companies, we might be questioning, is this the right place for us to be? Do we need a change? He's got an article that he's written and a philosophy called the five P's. So this is going to be really helpful for anyone that's in the job market or questioning if they're ever at the right place. And you guys might be asking yourself, how legit is Jose? He was on the team that helped build a thing called the iPhone.
1: (laughs) Wait, what's that? Surgery.
0: Sergio, you know, I I don't I don't want to like you know make you feel awkward, but I distinctly remember a conversation we had about seven years ago. And you said iPhone was for like simple people, but you were more of an Android guy. Do you remember that conversation?
1: Uh, no, I may or may not have said that. I may or may not have said that. So to clarify for the listeners, <laughs> I still I still believe that the iPhone is very it's a Sergio. I've never device. seen you blush
0: this much, but continue.
1: It, it, my dad can use it. That's what makes it great. All right. You know, well, it's easy to use.
0: Well, hopefully this won't be but, awkward once Jose gets on here.
1: Whatever. iPhones, I have an iPhone now. I've I've had the Google phones. My Google phone had a better camera and better AI. My iPhone is just easier to use. It's just simple.
0: Okay, okay. we'll see what Jose says. <laughs> but before we get into it, If you have not done so yet, make sure you like our show, share us on Facebook, LinkedIn. We appreciate all the love and support. And if you have questions, financial related, career related, legal related, make sure you send them to ask at thefreeretiree.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back in to the Free Reads Show. We're sitting down with Jose Benitez-Kong. He's been a talented recruiter for HR and he's been working in the Silicon Valley. He's helped build teams that made the iPod, the iPhone. And he's helped staff and manage HR at Nest Labs before they were acquired at Google. And he was also a co-founder and CEO of a startup called Flaws, which was an HR platform that helped companies spark employee engagement, alignment and performance. And he currently mentors startups and other Silicon Valley companies. Jose, thank you for tuning in with us. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Man, you got quite the resume here, man. I'm so glad glad you decided to come on because I think you have a lot of value. And I've been reading your articles. And I just know you're going to give the listeners so much great advice today. So we really appreciate you. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Appreciate it.
2: No, thank you to be here. I think I've been pretty fortunate to not only... Been in a position to choose the right opportunities. More importantly, though, I've been able to gain quite a bit of experience and guidance from a lot of amazing people. So, you know, everything that I have is not necessarily just because of me, but a collection of all of these relationships and the time spent, you know, with all those different amazing teams in the past.
0: Yeah. So why don't you give the listeners a little bit about your background in the Silicon Valley? Because I think you have an amazing one. I don't think I did it justice. So can you please explain to the listeners what your history is? I think a lot of them want to know what iPhone you were. You were at the ground stage. What? Like, just give us a little bit of insight into that.
2: Yeah, maybe we can get Sergio to completely change his mind about Android versus Apple. Hey,
1: oh, no, sorry, hey, oh. Hey, <laughs> record, I have, I have an iPhone. I like I like the device.
2: So, actually, no. I I kid. I mean, I worked for both Google and Apple in the past. A lot of respect for for both platforms. But let's see you know where do i start i think i am one of those individuals who probably you know have had an abnormal you know journey in, into technology definitely not where i am supposed to be grew up in east san jose not too far from the epicenter of what used to be uh, the silicon valley back in the uh, the 80s and, and early 90s back then at least in our school district you didn't hear much about silicon valley you didn't hear much about technology really had no idea of what was out there and the opportunities through various pivots in in, in my life. I did end up in in a career in technology and I'm so glad that that happened because it completely just opened a whole new world for me. But how I ended up, it was by chance. I thought for sure that I was going to be in radio, television, and film. And then that led me to the potential of attending Syracuse University in upstate New York And having been someone who grew up in Southern Mexico on on the Gulf side and and then moved to uh, the Bay Area, I had no idea what cold really was. And then once I started researching the uh, (laughs) wonderful winters of uh, upstate New York, uh, that idea went out the window, decided to stick around, decided to change my focus, to think more about either marketing or, or psychology. And at one point, I was working as a personal trainer to pay my way to school. And playing rugby on the side at San Jose State, blew my knee out. I couldn't work, and so this individual who I was training as a client felt bad for me, and he offered an opportunity for me to come in and do an internship with his uh, firm. And so I thought, well, you know what, I need to make money, so I'll, I'll I'll do it. And it was a an executive recruiting search firm based out of downtown San Jose, and the rest is history. Spent some time there. From there, I ended up going and working for a company called LSI, LSI Logic. Back in the late '90s, early 2000s, was like the one of the companies to go work for. These were the guys that were doing the silicon chips for PlayStation when PlayStation first was introduced. These guys were also involved early on on Kodak Semiconductors, which were the the brains in terms of uh, operating. DVDs and things of that nature, right? They were also working on internet connectivity for consumer electronics. And even though most people probably have no idea who they were, they were one of the companies that basically laid a foundation from all the cool things that we see today. You know, did that up until 2001. In 2001, unfortunately, with the events of 9/11, the economy went into tailspin. I ended up reconsidering what I wanted to do in, in, in my career, having gone through a couple of different bubbles in the technology world. I just wasn't sure if I had the stomach to do that. And so I had I had made up my mind that I was going to look for something else. But before that, I was going to basically take a sabbatical. I was gonna take a year off and, and travel the world. Ended up uh, making it not very far because a company uh, called Apple contacted me and they had an opportunity for me to come in and work with a team that was basically creating the iPod uh, division, which at that time they were known as the special projects group spg and it not it wasn't that they were just doing the iPod the iPod in two thousand and this was two thousand and two early two thousand and two it wasn't that the that the ipod wasn 't appealing enough that was when it, it began to to take off, and they started to really create a a pop culture phenomenal, right? When you saw everyone wearing the white earbuds, but they were also hinting at doing something else. And even though they didn't tell me what that something else was, I had the sense that these guys were attempting to do something related to cell phones, right? And we're talking, and for most of your listeners, maybe they'll have no idea what I'm talking about, but I had the sense that they were going to try and partner with Motorola and work on creating better racers, like maybe with music, (laughs) so I was pretty excited. I loved the racer at the time, I I love the iPod, you're right, Taking you guys way back. And so I decided to postpone my sabbatical, went to go work for Apple, went to go work for this small group of uh, individuals that were sequestered just across the street from Apple's main campus, and quickly realized that it wasn't just about creating a better experience from a music perspective, but it was about just bringing better technology, more intuitive designs, more cost-effective. Not only that, but it was interesting to see a concentration of individuals that were committed to changing the world. Like innovation, revolution, changing the world were not just words that they would speak to, they were the foundations for making key decisions in meetings. Right, They were the foundations for making commitments and driving operations in order to push that through. And so did that for a couple of years. And during those couple of years, I started getting sucked in into a group of people that seem as if they were not necessarily going to do something with Motorola. Uh, even though, you know, during that stage, Apple did introduce a partnership with Motorola for... Probably the ugliest phone experience ever. They created—I uh, forgot what it was called. It, it was just terrible.
1: Was this uh, pre? So this was pre—pre uh, iPhone.
2: This is, was definitely pre iPhone.
1: Way yeah. pre iPhone.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, back in two thousand and five, two thousand and six-ish, they introduced a partnership. And I mean, if you look back at the keynotes, it was probably the worst keynote ever in terms of introducing <laughs> a new
1: product. Wow. It was
2: just a terrible product. I think. All of us went in there realizing that it was not a good product, and we just cringed once it became reality. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but as we were heading into that, I, it, it dawned on me: you know, it, it's not about creating a partnership; it's about realizing that no one out there is doing anything innovative, and I think we're going to do it. And so, I was fortunate enough to be tapped to participate in the earliest possible days of of the iPhone. I remember single-digit numbers of people in, in, in these meetings, and I remember all of us looking around and asking the question, what do we know about cellular technology? What do we know about mobile phones? And there was very little knowledge. However, there was no lack of confidence. There was no lack of commitment. And even more so, there was no lack of passion in these individuals in terms that we could get it done, right? Either we're going to hire the best people in the world to help us do it, or yeah. we were going to learn what it took to create a much better product and we were going to do it ourselves. I mean, was by this it, time... Sorry to,
1: sorry to interrupt you. At the, When you guys were on the ground floor with those first employees, honestly, like, did you think it was going to be what it is today? Did, did those, like, grand thoughts, like, were they there back then?
2: You know what? I am going to say that I was confident. I was very confident that this was going to be a revolutionary product. I was confident that we were going to be successful. I probably didn't quite understand the magnitude of, of, of this success. Right. Mm-hmm. if you if I look back right and if you were to ask me 2005 when we started putting more structure around the iPhone project if you asked me how many phones we were gonna sell I would have been happy right to say that I could envision selling hundred million phones. Over the lifetime of the uh, of, of, of the product, and, and that I was confident it was going to be one of the best products that had ever been introduced in terms of uh, communications. And for me, it was it was easy to buy into that belief because, again, when you're basically living with these people more than you're doing so with your family, you really get to know them, and you realize that it's just not a uh, it's just not a, a front in terms of believing in in the capabilities, and more importantly, believing in one another. But it was something that was deeply ingrained in terms of wanting to change the world, in terms of creating a revolution, in terms of bringing something that they just knew that was going to change forever. The ability for the average individual to have access to invaluable knowledge, right? Because you you were gonna have a, a connected device that was going to be able to do things that were not necessarily democratized for all, right? Either because of the cost or because of accessibility. And again, they weren't just catchphrases, it wasn't just a tagline on a slide. You really could sense the emotional commitment that everyone had, and it was contagious. And there was no way that. It, you couldn't be confident about the success of the product or based on, this, uh, on the confidence and the commitment that the team was having.
0: Jose, I just get goosebumps listening to you talk about this process and what you guys went through. Because in my mind, I think the iPhone is the greatest invention ever created. Some people might disagree. But what was the expectation like from someone like Steve Jobs? How much did he play a factor into this? And how much did he steer this vision? I have an
2: interesting perspective on that. It's not as if I was so high up that I was constantly in the presence of Steve. I was a couple of levels removed, but it was amazing to see his vision and the way in which he conveyed the vision to everyone. You knew that he was involved in every single detail because of the way in which the message was uniformly carried out from the top all the way to the bottom. It didn't matter if you were talking to a head of a particular group, say product design, or you were talking to the head of the hardware team, or you were talking to someone in the the RF lab. Everyone basically had the same perspective, the same messaging. And all of that came from Steve. The one thing that it was clear, like we're talking Windex type clear, was the fact that Steve was obsessed with every single detail that went into not just the iPhone itself, but every other product that he had pushed through since his re emergence and his comeback into Apple from 1998 until now. And we're talking, early 2000s, his attention to detail, his ability to be broad in every aspect of what it took, not just to build the phone, but how the phone would interact with the the cellular networks. It was was impressive enough, but then you really were blown away by how much depth he had to that broadness in terms of knowledge and how that translated into the people that reported into him taking the same approach all the way down to someone like me. And at that time, I was just one of the recruiters. But I didn't see my job as someone waiting for someone to apply. I saw my job as someone that needed to become an expert in all things cellular technology in order for me to put forth my contributions so that we could get the right people, so that we could build against this amazing vision that we had. And so I'll tell you what. I mean, one of the first things that I did when I was assigned to this you know, to this group was to, you know, I can't say it was Amazon because I don't think Amazon was Amazon back then, but somehow I was able to procure a book of antennas and it was probably about this thick. And I literally read every single page to try and get an understanding on how RF technology worked and what was behind the technology in terms of building antennas for connected devices. Right. And again, uh, I'm just a recruiter at this yeah. point in time. But that was a level of commitment that no one basically instructed me to, to follow. It was the level of commitment that I got from just being exposed to this amazing group of individuals. And again, you know, to answer your question, all of that came from the top. That came directly from Steve.
0: Wow. So another question I have is, since you're in charge of building this amazing team, what were you looking for? Like, What were the things that maybe... We're like, hey, this is this is someone we need. And then, what was the things that you screened out? And you're like, oh, yeah. we don't we don't need the, we don't need this toxicity. You know, on board with creating this world changing device, we don't want that. Give me give us a little insight into what you were looking at. So, you know what we you know obviously not
2: knowing any better, we went and we talked with the so called experts, right? We we looked for who was in charge of the great projects at companies like Nokia. Motorola Research in Motion, who were the makers of, of, of the BlackBerry, and the BlackBerry were the, uh, the top devices at, at that moment in time. But quickly, we realized that that was the wrong approach, right? And I remember one of the many times that I thought that I had lost my job, I remember thinking when I heard that Steve was so upset because of all of the candidates that were coming in that were so-called experts, that we couldn't find someone that we could relate to. And so it was put onto me to figure out a different strategy,
1: (laughs) right? In terms of uh,
2: how do we find the people that we need? And so we went back to the drawing table and we quickly realized that the so-called experts were at the apex of their career, maybe even on the downside, right? We realized quickly that if these individuals had any more passion for, driving innovation for pushing the limits they would have been doing so and instead it was you know I remember I remember this hit me in the middle of of a um, in the middle of a trip to outside of Chicago to go meet with some Motorola experts and executives and it was a, a Tuesday afternoon and I'm driving from Chicago and it's a 45 minute drive and I get a call from this director's assistant and she wanted to know if I was able to meet him at the golf course, and I'm thinking, "Wait, it's Tuesday at nine a m What are you talking about right and, and this is obviously either a last minute decision to go golfing on a Tuesday at nine o'clock or something that was already in the books, and he was trying to figure out how to fit me in and I remember just thinking, "I'm oh, wow, these guys are." basically resting on the laurels of what the racer is doing. And they were highly successful at that moment in time, but it just didn't seem that they had the urgency to create anything more exciting or more innovative and certainly nowhere near the same sort of um, attitude that the people back in Cupertino had. And so I remember at that moment in time, something just clicked in my head. And I thought, I'm a wait, if these guys are basically done, if, if their apex is done and created, how do we find the individuals who are going to want to figure out a better way and, and, and create something, even if it means that you don't golf, you know, not just on Tuesday at night o'clock, you know, but maybe you, you put your golfing experiences on hold foreseeable for the next eighteen to twenty-four months. And so I started looking back into my notes of the different people that I met and realized that the real value in terms of finding the right expertise was gonna be twofold. Either we were going to have to train some of the smart people back in Cupertino, right, to learn the technology and apply our our know-how and how we tackled it to it, and or look for those individuals that were behind the so-called experts, that more likely were doing the actual work the more likely we're probably being held back from pushing the lines and the envelopes. And if we were able to get the right individuals who saw the same vision, the same commitment that we had in terms of creating something radically more revolutionized, that we could potentially not only gain their knowledge and their expertise and bring incredible value into the team, but we could also provide them with a career track where they could potentially see their apex ascended. And so, you know, I remember coming back and having a discussions with the team, and it became literally the formula for how we built the, the organization, uh, the rest of the organization. We literally said, all right, forget the so-called experts. The so-called experts are locked into what they think is it's, it's possible. Let's look for number twos, and let's get those individuals to have an opportunity to truly, truly, truly expand their minds and and, and push the limits. And once we did that, it completely changed, not only the rate of hires, but we literally started to see this acceleration of development internally because they weren't just bringing expertise and know-how, they were also bringing this renewed energy that was contagious. I think they were drawn to our passion for wanting to do this and in return, they brought more energy and, and we got that energy and it was one of those perpetual sources of energy. They just kept pushing us through despite the fact that it, it wasn't easy, right? We we faced a lot of obstacles and a lot of failures, but I think bringing in this number twos and, and giving them the ability to expand their, their passion and, and, and their potential ownership of impact, it just helped to put more energy into, into the pot.
1: That's awesome. Hey, uh, quick question. So- you mentioned you were tasked uh, by essentially by Steve Jobs to kind of figure out this, building out this team. And obviously you killed it. You did a great job. I'm curious in Silicon Valley right now. I think a lot of people deal with, with stress, right? A lot of people Mm -hmm. are stressed out. The demands are super, super high. So I'm curious, like, how did you handle in that, in that moment, you had an order from Steve Jobs to figure this shit out. How did you stay calm, stay on track? Like, how did you sit there with all that responsibility and still execute?
2: You know what, it, it it came down to not being just on me, and that made it easier. It came down to the fact that I had a great boss. The boss had a great boss on, on, on top of him. We had a great team around us, right, to help to support this. The relationship with the technical team was incredible in terms of um, the transparency and the open door policy for us to work closely with them, it was never either for me or I would say most, if not all of us, it was never about carrying the, the stress on our shoulders on our own. It was about literally working together as a team to do it. But also it was the fact that everyone else around was doing the same thing. I would say though, that if I look back to that era or that period in my life, There were also mistakes that I made, right? And I can't speak for everyone else, but I'll I'll share my my own sort of personal journey. We sacrificed a lot back then in terms of personal life, right? It was about committing to those projects, about committing to the company and to the point where I probably damaged a lot of personal relationships by not being around for birthdays, not being around for births not being around for, I remember I missed at least one wedding, probably more, right, on people who I consider to be really close friends. And at the time, I just didn't see what the big deal was because I was so focused on on doing my part. But retrospectively, I have changed my perspective and therefore have changed the perspective that I bring into new work environments that you need to have. A sustainable balance between work and life. Because looking back, as proud as I am of what we accomplished at Apple during during the 2000s, as proud as I am about the success of the iPod and the iPhone and, and, and other products, I also live with a regret of not necessarily being there for people that I love and people that matter. And so the cool thing about it is, is that I think as a, um, As an industry, as a region, technology in Silicon Valley in particular, we have gone through this recommitment in terms of what it means to be successful and what it takes to be successful. And it's healthier now. I think it needs to continue to push. And I think we're seeing that, especially with COVID upon us right now. But life work balance, if you were to ask me what that was in the 2000s, I would have told you it's what do you mean man i just gotta work i gotta get this thing done so the people that are waiting for me to get my job done can get their work done and that's all that matters if you ask me today what life work balance means it still means having a commitment right to being successful and and being passionate in in terms of what i'm doing but at the same time they're respecting the boundaries to be able to recharge the batteries to be able to not lose perspective on on what else is important right? or or not more important, which is family, friends, community, enjoying life, smelling the flowers.
1: Love it.
0: Uh, Jose, what do you see as a common thread for all these startups that are making it? And then on the contrary to that, what are you seeing from the ones that are failing? Because you are in that world. You know a lot of successful people in Silicon Valley. What do you think the difference is between the ones that make it and the ones that don't? I'm sure there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, the surface, what do you think?
2: So I haven't been a co-founder myself that didn't make it, have been in with companies that made it like Nest Labs, haven't worked as an advisor to companies that made it and didn't make it. I think the one commonality that I see with those that make it and those that don't is is this ability to develop a thick skin, is this ability to not accept failure right away, this ability to work through and and get past all this negativity that you experience early stages when you're having trouble just getting anyone to listen to your idea for funding or for hiring, all these doors that are closed or slammed in your face when you're trying to do business development. That on someone who's not ready to be successful or needs a bigger brand or needs stability of a, of a established company or, or needs a bigger team, you know, it's it's a recipe for disaster. And I have seen many founders, I have seen many previously successful individuals not be successful because they just can't handle that rejection. And when you look into the other side, and people that have made it, you realize that those individuals went through the same scenario at some point, at some point, especially when you're pushing the envelope of innovation, when you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before, you're going to encounter mostly naysayers. And again, it's going to be the naysayers who are going to be maybe your family and friends who are going to tell you, don't, don't be crazy, don't be stupid, don't leave this this job working for Apple to go join this company that is in a garage in Palo Alto.
1: <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny how that works out. The people closest to you are usually the ones that are like, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. Or, I don't know about this. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I think it's, because they, I think it's because, honestly, because they care about you. Yeah.
2: And for experience, I left Apple literally the week that Apple became the world's most valuable company in the history of market capitalization. And I told people that I was leaving to go join a startup that was based in a garage in Palo Alto that was going to be doing something related to the home. And it wasn't that they didn't see the potential value. It wasn't that they didn't see my excitement for this new focus in, in, in a new product category. I think it was just the you've been at Apple since 2002-ish 2011 now, the company went from being coming out of being irrelevant like through the end of the 90s to now being the company. Why would you work so hard to leave that? And I got to the point where I was actually being offered the job that I fought for for three or four years before. And so it was hard for family and friends and peers to, to understand that, but in my mind, this is when the five P's of, of my career started yeah. coming into play. In, in my mind, I realized that in order for me to enjoy myself and feel as if I had the opportunity to create impact and therefore build success through my own contributions, I needed to go work with people that I respected. that I needed to go work with people that, I, that, that inspired me. I needed to work, go work with people that were hungry despite the fact that some of us had experienced iPod, iPhone success. And that's exactly what it was. The founder of, of NES is someone who was critical in terms of bringing iPod, the idea into Apple and, and, and creating the team and then being tapped to, dr- to drive the key portion of the iPhone, who was now excited about being in the garage and working on a product that could potentially revolutionize the home, could potentially help the world be more environmentally sound and reduce waste and energy. And as I was hearing this passion, as I was hearing this vision, it reminded me of the early days of iPod. It reminded me of the early days of of iPhone. And even though Apple was doing fantastic, it wasn't as if we were creating everything from scratch anymore we were more in evolution mode. Even though they were still doing some amazing things at Apple, it just wasn't the same. And so I was attracted to the idea of hit and reset and and doing it again.
1: You guys were in scaling mode at Apple.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: Trying to do bigger and bigger. It's like you're not creating that much new.
2: Yep, exactly. And so people just couldn't see that. The other part of it was that by this time too, Maybe I'm desensitized about how great the iPhone is. And Lee, I agree with you. iPhone is probably one of the most important products in in the history of of humankind. And I was desensitized by now, right? This is 2011. iPhone had been out for four years. What I thought initially of 100 million units over the lifetime of the product, I think Apple was doing that on a monthly basis. So I was completely- Yeah, (laughs) completely desensitized about it. And when I started thinking about When I started thinking about working on something that could make the world better from a different perspective, right? reducing the consumption of energy, reducing the electricity, when I started learning of the fact that a significant amount of energy is wasted because we forget to turn off the thermostat. When we leave our houses, when we go on vacation, I realized that from a single household perspective, we could make a difference. You could save energy, put some money back into the pockets of of that household. But collectively, you could change the world in a different different way. Maybe it wasn't about selling 100 million units a month, but maybe it was about saving 100 million kilowatt hours a month because everyone hopefully would have access to this technology. And even if we save a couple of percentage points of wasted energy, it would amount to maybe not damming another bridge, maybe not burning coal, Maybe not doing things that were not good for the environment, and so my focus shift here's a group of people uh, there were about thirty of them that were very that, that I respected and, and that inspired me and that were committed into doing something new. They had a product, a purpose, passion behind this new vision of, of technology, and that were looking to create this new process in terms of how do, how do you build a thermostat? How do you get people to care about the thermostat? How do you take technology that was basically last, most likely updated in the 1950s, that existed in in the majority of of the thermostats in, in the US, and how do you get people to get past that and start to think about putting the power of computing, the power of an iPhone into this device that you walk by on a daily basis and you take for granted? And so I thought, you know what, there's going to be a path here for success. And I remember it was, it was the easiest, yet the toughest decision of, of my career. It was the easiest because I realized that the work frame of my five Ps became, it became a realization of, of why I had enjoyed the success previously, but now I can articulate it into the framework. And I was excited about what Nest was going to do. Uh, but it was agonizing because I was leaving behind what was a dream job. I was leaving behind relationships with individuals that were amazing. And, and, and I'm glad I did it. It was an easy decision. I made my decision to do so literally on the spot after meeting with, with the founders. Wow. But it was agonizing in terms of going through the actual exercise of not only resigning, but having to explain and you got to remember, there were probably five people in, in, in the organization that I helped to build uh, on the iPhone side, end of 2004, 2005. By the time I left, there were several thousands. And I had a hand, directly or indirectly, in bringing these people together. Most of these individuals relocated from somewhere else in the world. And so we became a pretty knit family. And uh, it was agonizing having to explain myself over and over and over that I no longer saw my place to be as important at a place or a group or a division or a product like Apple iPhone and that it needed to go somewhere else to go create some, something else, to go have a, a different type of impact.
0: Now, that's amazing. So Jose, you have these five P's. I want to go mm-hmm. into detail. I think they're extremely valuable. Can you give the listeners what your five P's are? And, then, and from what I understand, this is how to help you understand if you're in the right place and if you're in the right career. So a lot of us, we're always questioning: Are we in the right place? Like, did we choose a totally different or the, a wrong career path? Do we need to? Are we in the right place? Give us a little insight into that. So for me,
2: how I gauge whether I'm in the right place or not is if I wake up in the morning eager to get to work and go solve problems, and if I agonize because I have to wrap things up because I have to go have that work-life balance. And if that's not in place in my life, I feel as if I have a job instead of having an opportunity to do something incredible and amazing. And so I, as I told you, during that transition at Apple, I was able to actually articulate it into a framework. And these, I call it the five P's for the perfect job. And they are in orders of priorities to me as I work with others. I tell them that the five, my five Ps, personally, I think they're the right five Ps, but there might be, there may be other things that are also important for individuals. But the key is to actually think through, analyze it, and put it into perspective with either what it is that you're doing or what it is that you want to do and to figure out a way to prioritize them. And for me, this is the order in terms of how I make decisions. First P is people. I don't want to go work for a brand. I don't want to go work for a company. I want to go work with individuals. Tony Fadell, who was the father of the iPod and critical executive in terms of the iPhone at Apple and then one of the co-founders at Nest, he always told me the story of his ascension in his career. And he told me that if you truly wanted to be better, that you needed to go work for people that you respected even better, go work for people that you idolize. And for him, he was obsessed with the Macintosh And ended up basically packing his bags and moving out of the Midwest to go work for a company called General Magic. There's actually a really cool documentary about General Magic right now that everyone should watch. And he did it because he wanted to go work for his heroes. And so for me, it it was taking that, right, taking the notion that I needed to go work with people that would make me better by teaching me things that I didn't know, but also adding that I needed to go work with people that had a different mentality, that for them it wasn't about punching in and punching out of the clock, that it, was, that it was a calling, that it was a commitment, that it was something that they were passionate about. And so first P is people. Second P is passion. So if I find an opportunity in which I'm enamored with the individuals and I see the potential for me to learn a lot, I see the potential to hopefully be able to contribute and potentially teach them as well. It's not enough. I need to know that there's going to be a product, there's going to be a purpose that is driving the passion of these individuals that is going to connect with me and become my passion. Prior to going from Apple to Nest, I never really thought about the thermostat. I never really thought about energy waste, energy consumption, energy management. But once I realized the facts, once I realized the problem, I, I started to agonize about why this was important for success to, to come about in order to solve these issues. And, and so that's the second P, that needs to be this passion, that needs to be a purpose if you really are going to connect with these amazing people and do something important. But again, people and passion or, or a great product or purpose on that, on that product is not enough. There needs to be an organized structure or an organized plan in terms of how do you make this vision a reality. And so you need to have a process in place. And this process either needs to be in place, and needs to be proven, or you need to have an understanding that there is a foundation where they're bringing the right people are going to collaborate to build this this process but whether the process is already there or the process is being built you have to have the confidence that we're not just throwing spaghetti into the wall and seeing what sticks that needs to be an organized operational commitment into taking this energy taking this great knowledge of the individuals and the passion and and putting it in a manner in which you can actually progress and you can you can actually see the uh, common sense in terms of how you do this. And so again, it's people, it's passion, purpose, product, and then process. Those three things for me are a minimal. I can have amazing individuals that I idolize, who are just passionate about saving baby seals. But if there's not a process in place that I believe in, if there's not a process in place that I see that makes sense to save these baby seals, It literally is going to be a waste of our time, or at least my time. And it's just it's a no-go for me. So I need to have those three things at a minimum. The four P is path. And with path, it's not just about where I'm going to be in terms of ascending in my career because of what I do for a living, which is talent and people. It's for me, it's important to know that my contributions are going to position individuals. in in, in a place where when they look back, they're going to hopefully realize their career, their life is in a much better position because of this decision that they took. And changing jobs is not something that we should take lightly. And so for me, I need to have a strong belief that the company, the product, the people have the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to participate in something that is gonna be much better, greater, than where they came from, where we came from. And so there needs to be this potential. People, I think it's easier to assess. Passion, you either have it or you're done for the purpose of the product. And so that's easy to assess. The process, it's something that you can have a gut feel or confidence that someone already has the process in in place. Path is a little bit more of an aspirational assessment. But I tell individuals that, If you have the right people who are passionate about the right product and they're committed to the right process, there is a good chance that the company is going to grow. There's a good chance that there's going to be opportunity created because of success. And so I have to believe that if those first three Ps are in place, the fourth P is going to have a potential. Now my assessment becomes how big of a potential. Are we talking about marginal impact? Or are we talking about holy cow, right? We started in a garage, and at some point we may be a public company, or we may be bought for three point two billion dollars by one Google, of the largest Google giants.
1: Made, uh, Google might come call on one day, right? Exactly, exactly.
2: <laughs> and so, you know, those four things are in there. The fifth one is it's pay. The world, especially here in Silicon Valley, is not free. It's expensive. And so there needs, to be, there needs to be this financial outcome that hopefully rewards you for working really hard and making a commitment into helping an organization be successful. And I tell, I tell people that in my career, I probably have helped over 10,000 people find, hopefully, their, their dream jobs or at least put them in a position where they can end up in their dream jobs. And I can probably count on one hand how many perfect five Ps I, 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 I saw in hmm. terms of uh, everything was there. Check, 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 check. So no brainer. And so and not once you know, did that happen for me or has happened for me. And so we have to take a step back and we have to have the understanding that we can assess the people, we can assess the product, passion, purpose. We can assess the um, process. We can assume there's going to be a path. And if you have all of that in place, there's most likely going to be a translation into a payout, an outcome. And if you're talking about early stage, joining an early stage venture, well, you know that you probably are taking a step back, getting a haircut in terms of your income against potential for equity growth. And so you have to have, A, first of all, the ability to survive early on with whatever salary reduction you experience. But you also have to have the confidence that if the first four pieces are in place, the fifth piece gonna manifest itself later on. And so I always tell everyone that how much money am I gonna make doesn't necessarily play into my decision because it's sort of already it's encouraged that it's gonna be there. Maybe not up front, but maybe later. Maybe I'll be making a significant amount less than what I was making before. But with each progression of the company, hopefully they'll go through a fundraise and they'll be able to adjust my my salary. And then eventually, again, whether you become a public company, whether you get acquired by the likes of Google, or the company is just successful on its own, there is going to be some sort of financial payout. What I see today, especially working with initially on the five piece with interns or with new grads, is that everyone's so worried about pay that they end up choosing the wrong job. They'll go work for people that they don't realize are going to be the complete opposites of what environments they need in terms of support. They're gonna go work for products that they don't necessarily care about, right? And so it's gonna be about coming in and leaving and not really loving what you do, not really creating that emotional connection. It's gonna potentially be joining a company with great people and and an amazing product, but no process in place. And it's gonna be just this aspirational venture (laughs) that is never going to go anywhere, despite the fact that you have amazing people and amazing idea. The Valley is littered with, with failures of companies and people that, you know, have potential, but they just didn't know how to create that process. And and so, and so I've always given the advice to people, take pay out of the equation, right? Take pay out of the equation. If you work with amazing people that you can learn for, from, you're going to be better and more valuable. If you work on things that are going to be passionate to you that have a purpose most likely is going to have an impact on the world and you're really going to devote yourself more into it and therefore your career is going to grow and this impact happens and people recognize it hopefully that will increase your value if you learn how to work with processes that are actually set in place to be successful and deliver well you become that much more valuable and so even if at the beginning you get a job with this large established public company that doesn't have an upside in terms of equity gain you still shouldn't make your decision based on pay alone or put pay at, at, as the first priority of the piece because everything else right before the the fifth p may not be there and all of a sudden having ascended in terms of your skill sets you haven't learned how things you know should work you're better not passionate about the things that you do and you have a higher salary than perhaps the average out there and all of that's going to work against you in terms of uh, getting a better opportunity or finding your dream job you're going to end up having to settle for whoever's going to be able to come close to matching your salary which means you most likely are making the same mistakes yeah. in terms of the first four piece
1: yeah i agree with that 100% man i've i've been in positions i'm not going to name the name of the company but uh starts with an a and ends with a amazon uh <laughs> the the pay was the, i was making more than what i'm making now there but the people and that culture wasn't there that the P you know the first P in your process so like I was miserable there Mm -hmm. and I'm actually making a little bit less now but I'm much happier and I'm more passionate about the product and all those things so like just hearing you talk about that man I I 100% agree and I think it's interesting to hear like pay being number five it's important but it's not the most important thing 100% agree
0: holy crap I I just need to I just need a phone call with you like 15 minutes every single day I mean <laughs> you got you got a you got a wealth of knowledge, man. Like it, I love your five P's. I love your whole take on how you looked at everything in the journey of your career and how you helped build up the teams that created the iPhones. I mean it's amazing stuff, man. So I I'm just in awe of your experience. It, uh, well, go ahead, you were gonna say something?
2: Yeah, if you look at it from the other perspective, if you look at it from the perspective of the company that we're not mentioning starts of the day and ends the sun. What if they realize that these five P's were important? What if they realize that you can still pay people a lot more than the average, but you were going to build your organization with unique individuals that really would enhance a positive culture that literally would care not just about the product and the profits, but care first and foremost about what's most important, which is the people the people are the only resources. Actually, I would say it's the most valuable resource that companies will never own, right? That's the only resource that companies will never own. You can throw as much money as as you have at people and they can still leave. And why not take that perspective that that is your most valuable asset, your most important asset? What if you figure out a way to get this culture to focus From the top, just like Steve did in the early days of the Apple comeback, into finding the passion and why it was important to drive this vision, create a culture of that, that onboards people and gets them to understand of of the why the company is doing this, the why of the product, to create that passion. If you can, Steve used to say, we don't hire amazing, smart people and tell them what to do. We hire them and we let them tell us what to do. So allow them, empower them to help to create an improvement on your process, so that you can be better, and therefore there will be a path for you to be successful. And if you're successful in terms of profits, you're successful in terms of the product. If you're successful as a brand, it means that the success hopefully will translate into the the organizations and eventually to each individual. And hopefully companies will do what's right and share the wealth with everyone else. To me, if if companies took that approach. In, in terms of how they plan to put together organizations, put together teams, I think that we would see a much different work environment with some of the brands out there that tend to have a reputation for not you know, fostering such. And how much better would you have been by that particular situation if maybe they didn't give you as much of a pay as they did But instead, they took the energy or those finances into the first four piece. You probably would have been more committed. You probably would have been more passionate about it. You probably would have been a much better employee.
1: I'd probably still
2: be there. You'd probably still be there. (laughs) That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It it blows my mind the companies don't think about it from that perspective. It blows my mind. I'm a big advocate that when you think about HR, when you think about... People, operations, culture, talent acquisition, you have to think about it as a product, not just as a process. Right. And you have to have, you have to have a foundation in terms of what it is that you want this to resemble. You have to have an idea of what are what are the priorities, what's what's going to resonate your, your employment branding. And again, the five, my five P's maybe are not for everyone, but you have to have some sort of framework for you to actually design the right work environment if you want to not just attract, but retain and grow individuals, right? For you to continue to be successful. It it compounds and it accelerates and eventually it hits the bottom line, which is for every corporation is increased revenue and profits.
1: Now, you you mentioned pay, Jose. How many bottles of champagne did you pop when Google called (laughs) (laughs) about uh, uh, nest? To be
2: honest with you, I mean, to be honest with you, I, obviously, we didn't talk about this openly. I was excited in terms of the recognition for the work that we put in. I was excited about translating the sweat equity into actual real equity. Yeah. But honestly, I was afraid that what made Nest special, this, this group of individuals that to this day is like my most amazing family, that by becoming part, of a company that was already uber successful, like Google, that we could potentially lose sight of the things that we were doing that got us there. Mm. And honestly, I wasn't as excited as I should have been for the acquisition. Yeah, sure. Financially, it was going to be a nice upside to my career. It was going to be that fifth P, right? But two things. Number one, I was- popping bottles. Right? right? <laughs> <laughs> and so- I was, worried, I was worried that the second P wasn't going to be optimized. I envisioned I was becoming the, the Apple, the Google of just creating the home as not only a, a more efficient home, but a more caring home. I had this, this larger vision than, than what we had accomplished by that moment in time. And I just wanted more time, and I wanted no distractions around it. And honestly, I thought that if potentially left on our own, we could potentially see a larger value proposition out of the company. Yeah. I put the trust in our executive team. I put the trust in the founders. I put a trust in the board of directors and our investors that this was the right move. And I think it was. But initially, I wasn't as excited as I should have been. So there wasn't any, you know, any popping of champagnes per se. I was I was given, I was given a very, very, very nice bottle of, uh, of champagne as a, uh, as a thank you. And I would mention from who, but it, it, it was a, I had to do the Google search in terms of how much it was worth and went, whoa. But I didn't pop it. I actually saved it. I actually saved it for the day that I asked my wife to be, to become my wife.
0: Oh, uh, awesome. nice. Right?
2: And that's so, awesome. yeah, so I literally can say that I didn't pop a single bottle of champagne on <laughs> <in> that acquisition.
0: <laughs> hey, Jose, I know you have these articles mm-hmm. up on the web. I've read a couple of them. I love, uh, they're great. Where can people find out more about your articles and get some insight in your mind?
2: Okay. If you go to Medium, that's where I put them. I haven't been writing as much as I should be, But Medium, Jose, uh, J-O-S-E underscore Kong, C-O-N-G, is is where I post. LinkedIn is a place where I tend to try and be active as well. I tend to try and get back to as many people as possible. From time to time, I'll either participate in an article with a media outlet, and that will drive more traffic through either LinkedIn or Medium. And so people will connect with me. The one thing that I do is I take my network, as serious as I possibly can. So I try to get back to everyone and I try to work with people even if it's just giving quick advice or even if it's spending some time with them aside from my regular responsibilities. And the reason why I do that is twofold. I am a strong believer that the Silicon, what made Silicon Valley great is this pay it forward attitude that exists. And if it wasn't for that, I probably would not have been fortunate enough to be in the positions that I've been in my career. And so I owe it it in terms of trying to do the the same thing if I can. What a great feeling to be in a position from time to time to be able to help someone. So that's one. Two, you're only as good or you're only as great as the network uh, around you. And so I'm constantly looking to not just expand my network, but hopefully become better myself because of the experiences of others. I'm I'm a constant learner. I'm a lifelong learner. And so I always try to learn from others. And sometimes I learn even from myself as I solve a a, a problem or a situation that I never thought about before.
0: Jose, uh, it's been amazing having you on the show. Like I said, I just need 15 minutes every day with you. Just, just pick up my phone calls and just, just do it. Just, <laughs> you that's know, you, you, you've, you've been fantastic, maybe, fantastic, man. Maybe once a, maybe yeah. once a
1: week. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Like yeah.
1: on demand Jose.
0: Yeah, man. No. Yeah, they maybe so. maybe that's the
2: next company <laughs> I need to figure out. Maybe that's maybe that's the next company I need to figure <laughs> out. You know how to, how to, how, to, how to, but here's the thing, though. It's not about me. Honestly, it's not about me. I always consider myself to be more of a uh, soundboard or mirror. It's just about helping people to sort of structure, create framework around the issues that try to solve and how to think about it. You know, in the end, as I'm giving people guidance, I'm giving people, teaching them structures, as I'm giving them, I don't call it mentoring because I think it's more guidance. I realize is that, and they realize this themselves, they know the answers, right? They just either haven't structured the answers or they have the answers in different, in different value prioritizations. I tell everyone I'm fortunate with what I have done in my career and what I'm able to do because it, it gives me an insight into something that it's a pillar of who we are as humans that I just don't think we have spent enough time researching and, and working on, and that's how we develop opportunities for ourselves in our careers that will put us in a position to not just be successful financially, but hopefully pair that up with being successful in terms of engagement and emotional connection and passion so that you don't feel like you're working in a job for a paycheck. You feel as if you're helping to create something special with amazing groups of people and, and hopefully have an impact. And doesn't matter if the impact is large in terms of sending people to Mars or the impact is small in terms of helping to create software that someone will never see but will help them to be more efficient in their jobs and therefore you impact them indirectly. It's a unique seat in terms of the journey that it's career and so I, I feel pretty fortunate to, to to be able to participate in this.
0: Jose, we feel very fortunate that you came on our show today. So yeah, Thank you. I had a blast.
1: Uh, you talked about relationships. Just so shout out to Zach. Yeah, Zach, for sure. And Jim. And Jim. Zach and Jim. So Zach, for the audience, Zach is my neighbor. he That's the only way we got Jose on the show. We know Zach is good friends with Jim, who's good friends with Jose. So big shout out. Small world, is, man. This has been a... Uh, it's called network. It's yeah, called network. Yeah,
0: network. Power of network.
1: Yeah, the power of your <laughs> network. I mean, that's something we preach on this show is really leveraging your network. Um, Absolutely. And not being afraid. So, uh, appreciate it. I say. Yeah.
0: Thank you, guys. Had a great time. All right. We are signing off. Thank you for listening to the Free Retiree Show. Go so on for now. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, .finra www.finra.org, SIPC, .sipc www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. The free retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities america incorporated are separate entities career advisor sergio patterson and attorney matt McElroy are not affiliated with security america companies securities america incorporated security america advisors and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice therefore it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation third party sourced information comments are not verified may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Incorporated. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.